Across the Margin, the podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the online magazine, and deeper into the stories. I am your host, Michael Shields, and faithful listeners, uh, which I am ever so grateful for, um, they might have noticed that it's been a lengthier interval between episodes um, than usual, and that is due to the, uh, the work involved in the latest release from ATM Publishing entitled Interstitial Burn Boy Blues by Trevor James Zapel. And that is exactly what we are here to talk about today. This podcast will feature an interview with the author of Interstitial Burn Boy Blues, Trevor James Zapel, as I just stated. And in it, um, we will elaborate about the the plot of the novelette. Um, We will talk about the extraordinary characters in the book. Uh, we will go through the influences that that adorn the book and that that affected Trevor so much, and um, and a whole lot more. This it's going to act as kind of an introduction um, into the world that Trevor so aptly crafted. Um, uh, personally, interstitial burn boy blues and, and, and releasing it through ATM Publishing um, is something I'm I'm very proud of. Uh, it's it's a book. It's it's you know an action-packed book, and it's 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 a lot of fun. But it's also it also has a um, has a lot of weighty social commentary in it, especially in the the second half of it. And it's you know that that deals with the looming environmental concerns. Um, in, in that way, it's 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 a novel a novel that could be described as cli-fi, which is kind of fiction that's involved in you know. The, the climate change issue, um, but it also, you know, kind of touches on wealth inequality, um, justice, uh, the idea of, um, you know, American restlessness and, and a whole, whole lot of, um, deeper issues like that. So, so while it is, you know, a wild little ride through the American, uh, a dystopian ruined American West, it's also, it's also got that perfect, um, touch of depth, depth to it as well. So, um, so hey, let's just uh, let's just get right into it. I, I, Trevor kind of explains a bit about the plot, and um, you know, to start and and towards the end of the interview, we actually get into the uh, unique way that we actually our worlds came together. Um, you know how 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 we did end up meeting and and you know putting this thing together. Um, so it's 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 a good interview, Trevor. Trevor comes with it. I think you'll enjoy meeting him as well. And um, here is my interview. With Trevor James Zabel. Trevor, uh, thank you. Hello. Hey, Trevor, how you doing? <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad. Good. Uh, thank you for joining us here today, uh, Beyond the Margin, and 
um, you know, coming on to discuss uh, this new book that we released together and kind of, you know, this is an opportunity for all our listeners and readers to, uh, you know, learn more about you, learn more about the book and, um, you know, kind of the inspirations behind it and uh, everything like that. So uh, thanks again. Thank you. Um, so let's start, uh, and I apologize if this is, uh, question isn't pointed, it's a little unfocused, but I was hoping you could explain to our listeners, um, you know, what, what interstitial burn boys, burn boy blues is, um, what's this book about? Um, well, it's the first installment in a series that will eventually come out to be a full-length book. Uh, the way I've been selling it to potential readers uh, has been like this. It's about two men on their way to California for very different reasons. One of them, Tommy Salino, is coming from Oklahoma chasing a girl that left him behind in their dead hometown of Woodward. Mm-hmm. The other, Stuart Stinson, is coming all the way from New York chasing after a man he accuses of being complicit in the murder of his wife and daughter. And then there's a pause, and then I usually say, but it's set in the near future, and the near future sucks. <laughs> I like that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to boil down exactly the, the setting uh, that your novel exists in, novelette. Um, and we're going to get into that as well. I do want to eventually get in there. But I want to kind of um, focus in on the title a little bit real quick. Uh, I, 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 you yeah. know, I find it so intriguing, and I was curious why you chose two things. I was curious why you chose the word interstitial and then i want you to explain to uh, our listeners what uh, what exactly a burn boy is so if you could tackle those two things i'd appreciate it <laughs> yeah sure let's unpack that uh so let's start with interstitial uh which refers to the spaces between things mm-hmm. uh between objects places time periods what have you yeah um I've been into uh, the concept of interstitial places borderlands bridges between areas yeah. uh, for a long time now uh, in the specific realm of this book, Vegas is the interstitial zone, mm-hmm. the place between where the protagonists have come from and where they're going. Uh, there's a sense of sort of hanging in limbo throughout the text, trapped in Vegas, uh, between the big pillar moments of their lives, waiting to pass through to the other side. Um, Burn Boy is actually a phrase uh, invented by one of the characters, Maurice, uh, who's a big figure in the semi-homeless underclass of Vegas. Uh, he has a cohort of the desperate that he keeps around to run messages, contraband, do favors, run errands, and, you know, from time to time, cut toes and bust thumbs. <laughs> yep. uh, <laughs> he compares them to burner phones, human burner phones, or in his own colorful language, uh, burn boys. So what, it's kind of you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, people might know burners from the wire or something, phones that they use yeah. for, for a purpose and kind of just get rid of them soon after. Talk away so- when they become... Too hot. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, kind of it's something they're referring to these people as is, is basically disposable. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also there's a, there's a mention for kind of um, another uh, meaning behind the word burn boys and that a lot of their messages that they uh, do, you know, transfer to another person. They, uh, they you know, they want to be destroyed or burned after reading, so to say. Burn after reading. Absolutely. So there's a couple couple levels to that. I, I, I love there's, a, there's a few layers of meaning there. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that the burners actually be you know became literally personified. I, I, I like that. The title titles, you know, it's it's a mouthful, but it's I was I, I found it grabbing right away. It's pretty awesome. Uh, 
Um, it actually came to me fully formed, and I had to unpack it myself before starting writing. <laughs> that's okay. Which seems to happen a lot with me I've, for some I've, reason. It's it's at ATF Publishing over here. We just we you know so that we don't have to chew out the words the whole time. It is IBBB over here. <laughs> I really like that dark farm, by the way. I've, I've been enjoying that a lot. So let's take a step back and um, discuss some of your inspiration uh, for the book. And and uh, in the foreword uh, of of the novelette, you talk about uh, Margaret Atwood, and of course she's you know known right now for because um, the Handmaid's Tales is so popular. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, um, you talk about how she put out a call for cli-fi fiction. Uh, speculative or other, otherwise fiction that uh, deals and lives in the aftermath of the impending um, climate uh, apocalypse. I, I say that kind of surely and yeah. uh, terrifyingly. But um, can you tell us some uh, uh, about Atwood's influence on you and this call to action and why you felt so inspired to respond to it? Sure. Um... So, Margaret Atwood, Dean of Canadian Literature, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to talk about uh, Chanlet without mentioning her at some point, uh, but in 2009, she wrote a really long article called, It's Not Climate Change, It's Everything Change, oh, in wow. which she outlined, yeah, <laughs> yes, good title, uh, in which she outlined two visions of the future. Uh, one was bright and shiny, filled with uh, sustainable living, harmony with the earth, renewable energy, that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other was this really dark, grim, choking vision of the future, uh, with visuals drawn directly from, honestly, something that ha- haunts a lot of uh, environmental media artists in Canada, which is the Alberta oil sands. Yeah. Um, she says the first vision is what would happen if oil wound down gradually, and we had time to replace it with something else. Uh, and the second is if it left with a bang. Yeah. Now. Then she mentions that between those two, which I guess is her interstitial future, mm-hmm. uh, is well what she feels to be the most likely world, which is where some countries develop bright, shiny futures, yeah. and others collapse into a grim sort of post-oil anarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of the future I draw my inspiration from here. On one hand, you've got places like New York and Oklahoma, uh, which have succumbed to the ravages of the uh, climate horrors of the future. Mm-hmm. And then you have places like California, which as further installments we'll get into, is more in line with the brighter vision of the future, albeit with quite the dark side underneath. Um, at any rate, she ends the article by explaining the concept of climate fiction, yeah. or cli-fi, which is speculative fiction. And you can't ever call it science fiction with her because she's deaf on that term. Oh, she, <laughs> she really is? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, for her, science fiction is about other universes and aliens and spaceships. What she writes is in science fiction. Okay, uh, it's okay. speculative fiction. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is, I mean... Makes sense. Anyway, yeah, um, exactly. Sure. Uh, anyways, speculative fiction that deals with the impacts of climate change on the future, mm-hmm. like you mentioned. Um, and at one point, uh, shortly before putting out this call for people to start writing this, uh, she states that it could be a way of educating young people about the dangers that face them. Yes, exactly. I mean, you, you know, it is it is something. If you do see, you know, a lot of these these films, uh, you know, today are kind of give us a glimpse of what could happen, and and the right. hope the hope is that that is a call to action, a wake up call, so to speak, and 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 this can occur in your book as well to see see you know yeah. the struggles people have to re- truly endure if uh, if things do turn that one way that um, that that. 
you know, opposed to the, I, I'm really loving that line. It's not climate change, it's everything change. Because, I mean... Yeah, right, uh, you know, it was a good title. It really grabs you from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. So, also in the foreword, forward, you speak about... Um, American restlessness and, and the kind yeah. of the lure of the road and and the endless movement from from decay to opportunity, which which is you know embodied in this book. And you speak of two two masters of um, American restlessness and, and John Steinbeck and and Bruce Springsteen, which we used uh, yeah. an excellent quote um, of his in the beginning of the book, which I which I love, but. Can you speak oh, a little bit on um, yeah yeah that was the, uh, both of those quotes that you, you uh, employed were, were fantastic but um oh, the Pope Francis one is good absolutely you should buy the book just I, to read that quote I love uh, <laughs> I, yeah right I love we got to get it off there we uh I love how woke he is in in, in, in that way it's really oh, yeah for sure right? really special it's just something it's refreshing to see a religious figure actually jumping onto that but um. Let's let's. Can you speak a little bit about um, you know both John and Bruce's influence on interstitial burn boy blues and 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 how this restlessness manifests itself in the book? Sure. Um, I look at American culture from a perspective that I guess you could call being a semi outsider. Yeah. Uh, I'm not American myself, but yeah. I live right next door. Yeah, and, of course. I mean, you're right across the border. Recently, right? that was exactly. It, yeah. It's pretty much literal. I. Uh, lived right near Buffalo okay. uh, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and living there and reading the history of America and reading the things that you consider great American literature, you know, Steinbeck, but also Faulkner, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, yeah. Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, um, mentioned Cormac. For sure. Uh, there's always a sense of ruthlessness in there, an idea that there's something better over uh, the horizon. So you better strap on your boogie shoes and get going. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Steinbeck famously wrote about poor Oklahoma farmers moving out to California. Um, but at the same time, many of Faulkner's characters are Southerners moving from place to place in their lives as well. Uh, McCarthy's characters are almost always literally on the boot, chasing yeah. after life and death itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of this gets reflected in uh, uh, the history of America. So you have these successive waves of immigrants uh, arriving in the promised land and inexorably moving west, uh, trying to find a place to stand and survive in the American frontier. And then later, once the whole country's more or less settled, you have people riding the rails effortlessly during the Depression, trying to pin down the basics of survival by following the jobs as they come and go. And then after the Second World War sort of puts the to the Depression, uh, Eisenhower traces the, inter- the uh, interstates all over the country, and uh, you can see that the country becomes enamored with following them after that, embedding mm. uh, car culture into the nation's existence that takes root and flourishes in the 50s uh, with rock and roll and its yeah. embrace of uh, speed, cars, delinquency, mm-hmm. uh, and the need to keep moving. Um, so, I mean, uh, America's history can be traced in migrations, uh, externally, internally. It's what Steinbeck writes about, and uh, at its heart, it's what informs Bruce Springsteen's music, yeah. which is about as American rock and roll as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the restlessness that I'm talking about is uh, pretty much full form on albums like Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town. Okay. The sense of unease and staying in one place for too long, mm-hmm. the hit the highway, uh, I mean, if I, if I can quote, <laughs> the sense that the only salvation can be found beneath this dirty head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lack. There's a lack of inner peace there, and, and always yearning for exactly. something else. It's it's 
it's almost troubling that 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 is so ingrained in in American culture and many many Americans. But it's real. Well, yeah, and I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of cultural picks come from from the origin stories, and the origin story of America is migration and moving. True, absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of the book, if we can go there, yeah, that's pretty uh, There's a feeling in the text that everyone's on the move, except maybe Maurice, who seems to be content to be king of the underclass mall society. Yeah. Um, Tommy and Stewart are definitely on the move, yeah. uh, and then I mean, they're only trapped in Vegas for a short time before moving on, uh, and then there's Pastor John Greenbuyer, who's also on the move and has been stuck in Vegas for slightly longer than either of the protagonists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Grace is moving too, although it's maybe more of a spiritual movement, uh, a restlessness that speaks to something a little deeper in the American psyche, uh, the fight against complacency with how society is working. Yeah. Uh, basically, everyone is looking somewhere else yeah, for, for their something. future and their, for, for their salvation. Each in different in different places and in different ways, and I'm glad you you kind of just mentioned some of the characters. So let's talk about those a little bit. Um, obviously, the main characters are Stuart and Tommy, who connect early yeah. in this book. Um, and uh, I, you know, I won't go too much into uh, we don't need to go too much into their backstory because it's really it unravels during. This, it's actually a good point uh, to mention that you do have a prequel of this. You you released. Prior um, to us releasing, oh this. yeah, some time ago, yeah, Ninth Street Blues. It's not where, where where can the readers and listeners find Ninth Street Blues? Uh, they can find it on Amazon. Uh, okay. It's a Kindle book. Great, I'll try, I'll provide a link for that when we release this as well. But that actually dives deep into the backstory of um, one of the two main characters, Tommy. Uh, and you could Tommy, find, yeah, that's a book that's pretty much about Tommy. Yeah, absolutely, and and you can find out you know deeper into that. But also, you know, we do get hints of that backstory throughout this one. It's not like you're fully left in the dark there. But um, no, it's true. I uh, <laughs> I wrote interstitial. Yeah. Uh, as if no one had ever read the previous. Exactly, one. and you you could tell that that was that was done uh, with purpose because because there's there's yeah. no point where you're you're. You're confused about what happened to Stuart and Tommy. You want to know more, but you're not confused sure. about that, which is cool. Um, you mentioned Maurice a couple of times, and he's kind of like this this strangely connected man, as you describe him, uh, a dentist running a black market shop out of an abandoned shop at right. all. Uh, he's, he is kind of like a key to everything that happens in Vegas. It's pretty. He's pretty intense. Um, Everything seems to run through his fingers at one point or another. Absolutely. And then another one you mentioned was uh, Pastor Greenbrier. How does he play into it? Uh, Pastor Greenbrier is actually somebody Tommy knows from back home mm-hmm. in Woodward, Oklahoma. Uh, he was the town pastor, and he left shortly uh, before Tommy did on the last bus before the Oklahoma-Texas border closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was trying to also get to California because of the promise of good jobs and a rebirth of the American dream. Yeah. Uh, and he also got stuck in Vegas because the borders were closed. Yeah. Well, I had this character, uh, and I thought to myself, okay, so you're a former pastor. Uh, you're sort of in this interstitial moment in your life. Uh, you're, you're stuck in Sin City. What are you going to do? Uh, so he becomes a debauched lounge singer uh, who still sort of clings to the idea of God, if maybe not the practice. Yeah, it, when, when convenient. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, a character that I am extremely fond of, uh, Grace. Uh, speak on her real quick. Uh, Grace Chapman. Yes. 
Uh, she's actually the result of something that uh, tends to happen an odd amount of time when I write. Um, she was created specifically just to fill out a scene. Okay. Uh, in this case, Tommy and Stuart's initial trip to the doctor. Okay. Um, oh, wow. It really blossoms grows. from there then. Yeah, exactly, right? It just yeah. grows exponentially more from there. I mean, that happens a lot when I write for some reason. Yeah. Uh, these, these very minor characters tend to end up taking on very large roles. And she's going to have actually a, a very large role later on in the series as well. Well, that, that's um, exciting. I think that even in this... You could tell there's even a line, I don't think this is giving away too much, but she, she not much at all, she, she says, simply by driving me to Reno, many more will die, and alluding that she's yeah. involved in something so much bigger, which I'm, I'm fascinated to, excited to learn more about. Yeah, she plays a key role in something very big later on. Wow, awesome, exciting. Um, I'd like to talk more about uh, setting and, and dig into that a little more deeply. As, it, as this is set in a, a world crippled by war and environmental ruin, and, and there alludes to what happened, of course, and, and sure. yeah. throughout in little hints. But I was wondering if you could tell us more about what happened to, um, to lead to, to this sort of dystopian landscape, or... Or is that something we will be learning more about uh, in the in the next two installments? Or, or you know, can can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it uh, it will be revealed a little more okay. uh, as we go on. But um, there's already hints of things that have happened uh, embedded into the text. Uh, I mean, at uh, one point, Grace mentions that Miami's underwater, mm-hmm. and this is actually something that. Um, climate science is sort of predicted will happen before the end of the century. Oh, there's, there's actually uh, hints, of, hints of it already occurring. I, I spoke to a, a climate scientist on this podcast um, uh, down in Miami, and he was he was telling me um, things that are happening right now, which were incredibly yeah. eye-opening and daunting. Um, but, but go on, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no worries. I mean, that's, uh, like, like I said, uh, it's something that's likely to occur. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, where Tommy and uh, the pastor are from, which is Oklahoma. And the Midwest, uh, in general, has sort of dried up because uh, of a pervasive and persistent drought, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the agricultural erosion that uh, occurred in the area during the Depression, but yeah. more permanent because of the climate shift. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, you've got um, uh, New York, uh, Queens, where Stewart comes from is devastated, and the rest of the city is is also pretty much that was uh, done for. In, in your in your world, that was a snowstorm that was uh, intense, yes. intense, frigid, and you know, cold temperatures uh, took over the Northeast. Yeah, I mean, um, when you hear about Atlantic Ocean storms yeah. uh, increasing in uh, for, you know ferocity and, and frequency, people are usually talking and thinking about Caribbean hurricanes, yeah. um, but massive winter storms in the northern Atlantic will likely also follow that same pattern. So you're going to see um, much more uh, instances of crippling blizzards. Um, and in this case, it was um, one that buried New York in snow for a good week. And I mean, one of the things, I, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's something that uh, state governments in the U.S. Uh, harp on right now, but I know that up here our government says that in case of emergency, you should be prepared to be without access to society and its services for about 72 hours, if not oh, more. Oh, wow. 
And um, anything after that is just going to completely cripple whatever area is currently in an emergency. Yeah, uh, and the, the story that, that Stuart sort of reminisces on uh, in the book shows that New York City was choked with snow for uh, quite a lot longer than that. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you know, I hear about it a lot that uh, the term, you know, that's, that's used so often is, is global warming and how that doesn't fully encompass what's, what's happening. It's kind of like a climate no. chaos that's occurring. And it doesn't mean it's just going to get hotter. It just means more extreme weather patterns and, and more extreme weather events. And, and, and uh, you know, if, if, if this year has taught us anything, it could possibly be underway in some ways. But sticking with... Uh, setting uh much of this book takes place in las vegas uh, a place that is recently location of a devastating and unthinkable uh act of terrorism yeah but that, i was uh, I, just, I was shocked to wake up and see that yeah and, and it's, it's 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 almost shouldn't be shocking anymore in this country but it but it is and it's it's i'm i'm just still still kind of getting my head around that but i but i was curious um do you have a relationship with Vegas, or, or, or is it is it a fascination with Sin City? Because I mean, it's a, you did, you know, this book really comes to to its to life in uh, in Vegas. So what what, what sure. occurred there? What what was the inspiration there? Vegas uh, is, I mean, it's first of all, it's a monument to, to uh, mankind's uh, arrogance. That this, uh, giant entertainment capital yeah. is uh, this the font of glitz uh, and glamour mm-hmm. is located in the middle of a desert. So I mean, the sheer amount of engineering uh, that is needed to just keep it going on a daily basis uh, is impressive and a little frightening. Yeah, um, yeah it's like Times Square times a million, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also this. Uh, and I mean, Grace uh, gets into this in, in her her little diatribe at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, that it is this clear dividing line between uh, the illusion of of glamour uh, coinciding with uh, some very shocking poverty yeah. uh, going on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can even see that right now. Uh, there are documentaries. Well, there's at least one documentary out there. Uh, about the people that live in the storm drains, the, the massive storm drains uh, in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of where I drew inspiration from, but I kind of moved them into an abandoned mall. Yeah. Uh, but there are people living right now uh, in, in the storm drains in Vegas, and uh, when the rains actually come, it becomes very problematic for them because they sort of get drowned in it. Do you know the name of the documentary? Um, What's the name of that doc? I'm not off the top of my head, unfortunately. Uh, I just thought of it right now, and I can't remember what it's called. Cool. I'll figure it out. The problem is I've, I've, I've watched so many of those kinds of documentaries <laughs> on um, basically people living in the under-infrastructure of major cities. Yeah. Like there's people living in the sewers in Prague. There's people that live under the subway tunnels in New York. Wow. And it, it, it's the idea that especially in Vegas, this uh, sheer uh, poverty that can coincide side by side uh, with some of the most opulent yep. displays in human history. Yep. Uh, it's, it's really a fascinating contrast. Yeah. 
That is that's intense, and and now now you got me documentary hunting later. But um, yeah. you, you did you did mention real quick um, Grace's diatribe, and and yeah, I want to tread lightly here. Um, I already read a touch of it uh, in the intro, and and but I I, I don't want to talk too much about it because I do want the readers um, to to experience this uh, this kind of you know its full impact, but um. To me, this was the deepest and most poignant section of the book. You know, when I first received this from you, it's 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 what you know really really took me. And um, sure. you know, but I'm curious if if through grace and this 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 diatribe that occurs kind of at the peak of this book, um, through her, were you expressing your personal opinions about wealth inequality and and if you were determined to kind of uh, you know. Uh, amend this story with this uh, sort of biting social commentary when you sat down to write it. Uh, is this? Did you did you have this kind of uh, this 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 section that I speak of in mind as you uh, dove into the story? I'm, I'm I'm curious about how this came about. Not not when I began. Um, it came about largely through uh, sort of empathetic frustration I felt on behalf of the characters. Sure. Uh, who uh, were sort of living in the dregs of the society that had um, decided who counted and who didn't. Um, <laughs> there's a, I mean, there's a lot to get into there. Uh, oh, my wife is a PhD student in political science. Okay. Uh, she has, she's actually going through the oral defense for the comprehensive exams. Oh, wow. Well. That's, that's kind of a nice resource uh, to have around when you're yeah, delving into these sort, of, <laughs> these sort of topics. Yep. Uh, political theory is actually one of the things that she concentrated on in her undergraduate and her master's. She's the sort of person who likes to have a sounding board yeah. uh, for her ideas when she works through things. Um, so what I ended up doing is I ended up reading a lot of the stuff that she was reading at the same time. Um, oh, cool. Partially because she needed a sounding board to get uh, to just say, you know, that idea sounds good, that idea maybe needs some work. Absolutely. It's important um, to talk some of these things out and, and, and get your head around right. what you're actually you know, believe in and, and, and find true, yeah. Um, so, I mean, a lot of Grace's speech is uh, ideas I formulated uh, through a number of different um, uh, theorists. Uh, part of it is Aristotle's ideas on what constitutes justice. Mm-hmm. Part of it is the Marxist idea uh, from the German ideology of the worker being alienated from themselves and from others because mm-hmm. of the division in society. And, uh, a little bit of it comes from an adaptation of, a, through the context of the story, of some of the ideas of a French uh, postmodern theorist, uh, the one that she actually quotes at one point, uh, Jacques Lampierre. He's the one that comes up with that line, uh, the, the lowing of nameless beings. Yes, yes. Uh, which is a line that's always stuck in my head since I first read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, without, you know, going and uh, spoiling the entire speech. <laughs> yes, no. Uh, a lot of it is sort of like the standpoint of, of how I see um, the near future yeah. unfolding uh, with regards to uh, a deepening divide in uh, equality uh, between people. Uh, basically, this idea that there are people that count and people that don't count, yeah. but because we're, we're all fundamentally human on the same level this idea that there is inequality between us is fundamentally ridiculous 
Yep, absolutely. The the divide of the have and the have nots it it does boil down to we are all we're all people at the end of the day. It's 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 a exactly. change. I, I've seen, um, uh, go on. Oh no, I was just gonna say. I mean, we all share in the common resources of humanity because we're human. Yes, uh, and that calculations of profit and loss uh, are just a, an extension of the the very first fundamental injustice in society, which is the idea that there's some people that have and some people that don't. Yeah, it's absolutely awesome. That that part really. Uh, you know, spoke to me, and I, I think it's going to speak to a lot of the readers as well. Especially, not you know, you mentioned that so. this is something <laughs> that's going to be happening in the future. It's something we're seeing a lot of in the present. We're starting to understand. Yeah, you know, you know there's 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 a lot of movements to um, you know wake people up to this idea. You know, a lot of us love Bernie down here, and just you know, it's, sure, it's, yeah. it's, it's such it's such an uh, important topic to be understanding right now. And it's it's cool how you touched on it. Um, Funny because a lot of uh, a lot of us up here uh, uh, recognize a lot of Bernie's ideas and what we have already. Yeah, absolutely. I'm we're jealous. Not of to it. be a smug Canadian. Right? No, no. <laughs> come on, we're jealous of your health. Look at us battle for for just the right of healthcare down here. We we, we, have, we have our we have our issues we're working yeah. through, to say the least. Um, so moving forward, um, again, we're trying to talk about this, and we're trying to. Avoid spoilers, and we're walking a fine line, but whatever. I do, I, you know, it's it feels so good to introduce um, this world in to to um, our readers and listeners. I know, I I have no doubt a lot of people are gonna you know jump at this after hearing some of these ideas that that are present in the book. But I am curious personally um, uh, if you could kind of touch on uh, what we might. Uh, be be coming upon in the next couple installments. You know, can you uh, wet our appetite just a touch? Uh, sure. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give you the baseline, and then I've got some images I actually wrote down. Oh, great! Cool, <laughs> cool. Um, just because they're the images that are sort of forming what I'm uh, uh, currently writing. Awesome. So the baseline is betrayal, revenge, and probable revolution. <laughs> um. The images uh, uh, that uh, will be recognized in in coming installments. Uh, A migrant camp in a former water park near uh, Sacramento. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. A man with a spiderweb tattoo over his thumb stalking Stuart through rows of weather-stained white tents. Wow. Nice. Uh, Pastor John Greenbrier sitting on a beach in L.A. at dawn. Wondering where the hell his life has taken him, and striking up a conversation with a pretty young girl who happens to figure quite large in the whole story. Fantastic! So he gets and, out of Vegas. I like to hear that. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a. Uh, I think uh, not the next one, but the installment after that is uh-huh. gonna. He's gonna play a, a, a rather vital role in it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and then finally, uh, desalinization plants lit with the lurid glow of sunset over the Pacific. Fantastic. Uh, so those are some, some images that I'll definitely take later on. Perfect, perfect. That's a that's that's the that's an ideal uh, you know taste right there. Some hints. Those visuals are pretty spectacular. And there's something I've always you know since I, I came upon this and been working on it for for these last bunch of months. Um, just the these visuals. The I, it was always so cinematic to me. I could just see it all playing out. The the not only just the the. You know, in the bus on the road, the shopping malls with like you know 
where people were living. Just every, everything was so cinematic. And that's, you know, a testament to your writing, a testament to the story. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I want to thank you for not just for being here, but for, you know, presenting this world to us, to, to sharing your words with Across the Margin and, you know, working with us on this. It's, it's funny, you know, we were speaking about it, me and you, how this just started. You just submitted the story just for us to publish as we do daily um, on the site. And, and yeah, I believe, I believe you guys said that uh, you published long fiction. So I said, oh, long fiction, yes. eh? Yeah, we'll yeah. About them. A lot of sites like <laughs> us, you know, kind of push, push some of the long fiction away. And, you know, it is sometimes we do get a story of this length and, and it takes a while for us to get to. But when we got to yours, sure. we were just like, well, this, uh, it, it, we took to it so strongly that we were like, uh, you know, kind of a eureka moment. Let's, let's uh, bring this to life in a different way. I immediately reached out to you, you know, is there, is it, I think my first question is, is there more? And that's always a good thing. It's, yeah. it's, it means you did that was, something. That was where you caught me. I was like, oh, you want more? Yeah. Want more. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we decided that, that we could do it in this fashion. We could release it as a novelette and and, and hopefully get two more installments, make a trilogy, and then that could you know be packaged into a book. And we had this big idea, and it's 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 been fun starting this journey with you. And, and so thank you for that. And and um, I'm excited. That's a blast. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And I'm excited to continue to share this whole story. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm, my guess is uh, hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we'll have you back. So and everyone uh, out there who took this journey with us beyond the margin thank you for listening to us uh the book is available interstitial burn boy blues by trevor james Zaples. available uh amazon now it's available on our website we'll have it in stores as soon as we can um go grab a copy and uh thanks again Across the Margin Podcast.